0: Good morning and welcome. My name is Craig Thompson. I am the senior pastor here and it's our privilege to have you with us. Thank you so much for being with us today as we've gathered together to worship the Lord. We're going to be in the book of Acts in just a few minutes, but before we get there, we're going to take just a moment and pray for um, the conflict that we see in Ukraine and the way that it's affecting others around the world. I'm going to pull my phone out this and uh, just share with you uh, part of a text message. We're going to try and pray with uh, we have mission partners in Latvia, which, uh, if your geography is not strong, uh, you've got Russia, Ukraine, right? Then we've got Belarus, and then Latvia. So, just to give you an idea, that was a horrible just trust me on that. Um, and uh, we're gonna pray along the lines of um, text message that we received this morning. Um, uh, there it was the, the text said our, our church was something we had more people than we've had. Since March 2020, uh, literally on our knees, pleading for the end of all of this. Even so, as much as these people detest um, Putin and Russian ideology, their friends are heartbroken about those 4,300 Russian lives lost as well. They keep saying and praying how so many of them are so young, just kids who have either been blinded or have no choice in what they're doing. It's so complicated. So as we pray for the peace of our world this morning, I just wanted to share that with you. Would you join with me as we pray? Father God, we, Lord, can fall prey to not believing as we should. Lord, you told us that there would be wars and rumors of wars. That until you return, Lord God, this evil world, Lord God, would continue to be stained by evil. And yet, Father, somehow we seem to always be surprised when when sin lord god blossoms and leads to tragic and grave horrible death. Lord God, we pray today for the country of Ukraine, and we pray for Europe. We pray for Russia. Father God, we pray that you would strengthen the resolve of people, Lord God, who are being bombarded. We pray, Lord God, for peace. Father, there are there hopes coming of Potential talks today, Lord God, I pray that those would be fruitful. That, Father God, you would work in accordance with your power. That, Father God, not only in Ukraine, but Lord God, around the world, that you would bring peace. Help us to be purveyors of that peace, Lord God, as we proclaim and live out the gospel of hope. God, we pray especially for the Church of Ukraine. She gathered today to worship in battered buildings, Father God, and certainly with fear of what could be around the next corner the next day. Well, God, we pray that in the midst of this violence, that the gospel would take root in the lives of many, that, Father God, from this evil, you would even bloom good. We trust you. We know, Lord God, that you are still seated upon your throne pray that your hand would be active in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible, we are in the book of Acts, chapter 2. I've lost my place. There we are. Acts, chapter 2. Again, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, We have been in the book of Acts for quite some time, several weeks now. Um, We will be in the book of Acts for a long time. Today, we are looking at Peter's sermon from Acts, chapter 2. We will not be reading all of it, though I was tempted to just read his sermon and then go home. His was better than mine. Um, But uh, we will not be reading all of it. Instead, we will be reading portions this morning as we begin the sermon, if I can get there. All right. Please stand with me in honor of God's Word. We're going to read Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and the signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the, great, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And let's turn on over to the end of his sermon in verse 37. The Bible says now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit For the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off. Everyone who calls on the name of, excuse me, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Let's pray once more. Father God, we thank you that we can gather in safety today. Thank you for the privilege of religious freedom. Father God, I pray, Lord God, that we would not take it for granted, but instead today, that we would embrace this opportunity, that we would be changed and challenged by an encounter with the living God in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. This morning we're gonna wrestle with this question: how should be the word of God be preached? One of the things that we're going to notice in the book of Acts is that the church in Acts was a preaching church. The church in Acts was a preaching church. We emphasize so many things out of the book of Acts, um, and there are many things that could be said. Is it the Acts of the Apostles? the Acts of the Holy Spirit? We see the missionary zeal of the people. We see the prayers of the people. But folks, we don't see anything that screams more loudly in the book of Acts than the preaching of the Word of God. Over and over and over again, the Word of God is preached And yet, historically, over and over and over again, the preaching of the Word of God falls out of favor even among the people of God. People question whether or not there could be another way. Certainly, there must be a different way that the church should be facilitated, the church should be grown, that the gospel should be proclaimed. But the reality is that the very birth of the church... Was brought about through the preaching of the word of God there's sort of this old adage that whatever you do to get people is whatever you, it's what you'll do to have to keep them right so you have to be careful that you don't dangle these hopes out in front of people that you can't hold on to well the reality is that the church began with the preaching of the word of God there's this assumption woven through God's Word that the preaching of the Word of God is enough to accomplish God's purposes within His church. Folks, if we don't do anything else, we have to preach the Word of God. But what is preaching? I found this quote by Gardner Taylor. Preaching is sweet torture. I like that. And isn't that right? If you ever sat in a, in a sermon and you walked out and you said, what a great message, but you also walked out going, oh, wow, what a powerful message challenging message. Sweet torture. Preaching is the proclamation of the Word of God by a man filled with the Holy Spirit that demands a response. we will say that once again. Preaching is the proclamation of the Word of God by a man filled with the Holy Spirit that demands a response. One of my favorite definitions of preaching is that preaching is truth through or mediated through personality if you can imagine it that is the truth of god poured sort of like a coffee filter through the personality of a preacher but when it's all said and done there's nothing but the word of god that escapes escapes from the preacher that is so how is it that we should preach why should we preach should we preach at all Let's look at four things, then we'll bring this thing home with a concluding point. The first thing that preaching should be is that we should preach opportunistically. Preach opportunistically. Now, let me just clarify that when I say preach today, I'm speaking mostly about the act of proclamation that takes place, for instance, in front of a gathered congregation on Sunday morning, but I'm not speaking exclusively about that. Preaching is the proclamation of God's Word. When you individually share the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ with another person, you have proclaimed the word of God. You have essentially preached the word of God and the personal opportunity. So when we say this morning that preaching should be opportunistic, I want to make sure that you hear at least part of this, that your proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ should be opportunistic, that you should seek out opportunities to proclaim the hope and the good news of Jesus Christ. Christ, one of the the, the pieces of advice I give to young pastors and preachers is this, that you should preach every time you're given an opportunity. You should preach every time you're given an opportunity. I still do this in my own life. I'm 41 years old. I've been preaching for more than half of my life right now. But if I'm given an opportunity to preach and I can make it happen, I take that opportunity. There are very few opportunities to preach that I ever turned down. Whether it be an opportunity to preach in a nursing home, an opportunity to preach in a, in a, in a, in a gathered congregation, an opportunity to preach in a school, sometimes it's an opportunity to preach in a place I go every chance I get. It's interesting, Peter didn't preach at a scheduled worship service, but instead the opportunity presented itself and Peter jumped at the chance. Now, how was it that this opportunity presented itself? It presented itself when people began to make fun of the disciples. Do you see that? Verse 13, Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter of Acts. Here we are. Verse 13, but others mocking said they are filled with new wine. This was the opportunity. This is what it was that gave Peter the chance. Nobody said, Hey, Peter, would you show up here and preach to us today? No, the Bible says they began to make fun of them. And when they began to make fun of them, Peter said, You know what? maybe this is an opportunity, an open door for the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk. We don't know. This could be actually the first opportunity of humor being injected into a New Testament sermon. That's what some commentators believe, that Peter kind of stood up with a little bit of jocularity and said, Seriously? How could they be drunk? It's 9 o'clock in the morning. There's nobody here who's drunk. But since you're all gathered up to make fun of what's happening, let me tell you what's actually going on in this place. Folks, we've got to be willing to preach the Word of God opportunistically, looking for every chance that we can Get. I was sharing just a few Sunday nights ago with my equipping study crowd that about uh, 12 or 13 years ago I was in London uh, kind of attending as a a bystander, a, a, a sort of apologetic encounter between some some Christian believers there and it's more of a polemical thing between some Christians and some, some Muslims there in, in downtown London. I stood by as a bystander wanting no part of everything that was going on until it became obvious that 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 I I needed to step into that situation. I I didn't go there to speak. I didn't go there to preach. But when the opportunity presented itself, it was was necessary that I step through that door, that God had put me in a place and an opportunity to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got to preach opportunistically. But, watch... Just as the word should be preached opportunistically, so too should the preaching of the word be attended to opportunistically. Came across this statement coming out of Kiev, the capital there of Ukraine. A man said he talked with a pastor in Kiev on Saturday. And after Friday night's bombing, he didn't get much sleep, but he was still preparing his sermon for church on Sunday. If the church is still standing, he plans to make his way there and hold services. What is it that keeps you away from hearing the proclamation of God's Word? What do you allow to get in the way? What do you allow to dissuade you? In other words, how diligently do you work to attend to the preaching of the Word of God? Or how easily are you inclined to miss these opportunities? So I ask you this, is the preaching, the worship of of God and the preaching of God's Word so important to you that it is not missed? Or is it the thing that you attend if nothing else is on your calendar? See, I've got things like that on my calendar. There are things on my calendar that get penciled in. There are things that get written in. There are things that get typed in and never get moved. Some things are in permanent marker, right? Some things don't make it there. The gathering together of the people of God as commanded in the book of Hebrews should be one of those things that makes it onto your calendar in Sharpie or whatever else that is permanent And unerasable, it should be the thing around which you plan the rest of your life. Text from Latvia this morning, as I shared with you already, said they had their largest attendance since before the pandemic. What would bring about this great attendance in a country that is still living under government regulations to keep them from gathering in these kind of places and these sort of large groups? Under the shadow of Russian oppression, the church gathered to hear the word preached and to cry out to the Lord in prayer. What keeps you at home? Rain? For the record, it's raining outside and you're here. So it's not y'all. Unless you're watching online. We see you. Folks, how easily... How easily are we convinced to miss the gathering of God's people for worship? Well, the kids were this. Well, I had of that. Hey, this is where I get to prying and meddling. So just brace yourself. And if this makes you angry, wait for the end of the sermon. Um one of the things that COVID has done is, is it, 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 it's appropriately, at least in my opinion, caused us to all step back and go, all right, let's make sure we don't give everybody COVID. Okay? So that's good. I don't want COVID from you. That's great. But here we are two years after, and, 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 and I hope I don't get in trouble for this. Please don't get angry. But two years after, and it's like, hey, pollen season has arrived. I don't know if y'all know that. It's all over everything Okay, And you got a stuffy nose, and you're like, I decided I better stay away because I wasn't feeling well. Now, I'm just going to go to just prying up into your business just a little bit. Two and a half years ago, if you didn't have a fever, right? You, you, you just didn't, you, you just said, you know what, I don't feel good, but I still need to do it, go about my business. Well, all of a sudden, we've got all these different reasons and built-in excuses to say, well, I just don't think I could be there. It's raining, or I've got a stuffy nose, or, or my, my shirt wasn't ironed, or the kids were just not doing well. I didn't get in bed as early as I wanted to last night. I didn't sleep well on Saturday night. It's been a really busy time. I just didn't want to see people. The Bible says that we are not to forsake the gathering together of the people of God. It's that important. And remember, the writer of the Hebrews was writing this during a time when the church was experiencing persecution. What's keeping you away? Can we just be honest? Some people are being kept away. Sometimes you're kept away because you're just too lazy to get out of bed and be here. Okay? Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm honestly not saying anything you just don't already know. Again, if this makes you mad, just hold on. We're going to get to the end. It's going to get better and worse all at the same time, I promise. Okay? Sometimes it's that. Sometimes you just don't want to see people. But if we're just honest, the truth of the matter is normally when you miss church it's because you decided there was something else that mattered more than gathering with God's people. Now, you don't ever want to say it that way because that doesn't sound good, right? We, we couch it in all sorts of other terms. But we decide that there's something matters more. That doesn't mean sometimes it's just sometimes it just happens. You go on vacation, you left town, you can't be here. We understand that, of course. How are you gonna get here if you're on the other side of the country? That's that, that, that's that's right. But just because you've got you know another thing going on, we've got to at least be willing to say, I decided today that this mattered more than attending worship with God's people. Can I just challenge you to begin looking at yourself on Saturday nights? Because Sunday morning church is a Saturday night decision. 90% of you have already made a decision about whether or not you're going to show up on Sunday morning before you go to bed on Saturday night, right? You, you did. The other 10% wake up sick on Sunday morning, okay, or something happens. But 90% of us have already made a decision. Can I just encourage you that when you're getting ready for bed on Saturday night and you decide, you know what, I'm not getting up in the morning going to church, will you just at least be willing and, and, and honest enough with yourself to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I've decided that this is more important than gathering with God's people. Whatever the this is, say that. Do it. And then, oh, step number two, Lord, now that I've made this decision, God, is this the right decision for me to make? God, is this more important than gathering with God's people? God, is this more valuable than going to sit under the preaching of the Word of God and to encounter the people of God and to study your Word? Because just as much as I want to encourage you to preach opportunistically, folks, I would not be doing my job if I didn't encourage you to attend to the preaching of the Word of God opportunistically. To make every effort To sit under the preaching of the Word of God because it matters. The Word must be preached opportunistically and it must be attended to opportunistically. So that's the first thing, preach opportunistically. How should the Word be preached opportunistically? The second thing, the Word of God should be preached holistically. Now, Peter wasn't invited to preach. They're making fun and Peter's like, hey, If y'all want something that's really funny, let me tell you what's really funny going on right here. You think that us sounding drunk is crazy? Let me just flip this thing around and show you how crazy this whole situation is. It's actually more understandable for us to be drunk than for what I'm about to tell you. I'm fixing to blow your mind. But then Peter begins not with, hey, uh, 10 days ago there was this Jesus guy who was talking to us. And 40 days before that, he was actually crucified, buried, and rose again. Before he even gets there, Peter starts with the prophet Joel. Peter runs all the way back to the Old Testament. And he lays out a picture of what it looks like from the Old Testament prophesying, looking forward to the coming of Jesus. Peter didn't, Peter, whoever that is, Peter didn't preach like a diet sermon. Peter started in the Old Testament and recounted how much Old Testament history and prophecy appointed pointed to Jesus. He then told a brief story of Jesus, of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And then he looked at him and said, what are you going to do about it? Folks, listen to me. The church must preach the whole counsel of God's Word, every single word of it. We've got to be willing to submit to all of God's Word. We don't get to pick and choose the parts that we like or the parts that we don't like. Some of you have been here long enough. You've heard me say this, but some of you haven't, so I'm going to say it so you can hear me. The reason that we preach so often through books of the Bible is because when I preach through a whole book of the Bible it sort of removes from me the opportunity to cherry-pick the things that I want to talk about. It forces us as a church to sometimes wrestle with things that we just assume pretend weren't there. It forces us as a church sometimes to wrestle with things that are hard or difficult to understand, or, if we're just being honest, that are just hard to obey, right? Sometimes they're pretty easy to understand, difficult to obey. Um, but we, we have to acknowledge that all of it's true, not just the parts that are comfortable for me. If we believe what we claim to believe, then every word of God is inspired and infallible. Then that word that is literally God-breathed, then we've got to treat it all as valuable and powerful. It's been said by multiple preachers through the years, so I try not to give any one of them credit, but it says that it takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. It takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. See, we don't get to just go. Ah, I think this part's comfortable. This part's nice. I like the Psalms, so I'm just going to spend all my time in the Psalms. Or, or I, you know, I, the Proverbs really fit me because I need to hear them. And, and listen, it's uh, this is a, actually a I, this Bible was only a couple years old, but I, I have a Bible that in the Proverbs, every proverb that says something about keeping your mouth shut is underlined. Why? because it's my Bible. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I need to read that and go, oh, that one was written for Craig. It's not struck through. It's underlined. It's circled. It's highlighted because I need to hear the Lord scream at me, Craig, sometimes you talk too much. Thank you all for not amening that. That means so much to my heart. (laughs) I missed something. All right. All right. As I was saying, those of you watching at home, because it's raining, I really am glad that you're here, um, because the people who are here are not kind. Look, I, I'm I'm so grateful for the proverbs and for that sort of you know immediate um, instruction that you receive. But I can't just spend all of my time reading the proverbs and the psalms. I need to go play around in Leviticus. And to be challenged by what God says there. I need to run to Genesis and to wrestle through those accounts in that book. I need to run to Numbers and to appreciate. Why do we read Numbers? Some of y'all are in it right now and you're like, I don't know. Numbers is incredibly valuable because it does what? It solidifies our understanding of the Bible as history. Numbers is history, and when you get specific with numbers, it gets a lot more difficult for people to argue what's going on right there. And you start adding things up and looking at us and go, oh, well, somebody was actually taking a careful recording of what's going on. This wasn't just like somebody said, "Eh, that seemed like a good idea. No, these are exactly the numbers of folks who were in this place doing this particular thing. And when we have that as historical record, then it helps us to take a lot more or have a lot more understanding of what the Lord was doing as He brought people out of Egypt as he worked to make them into a nation and ultimately he's going to bring them into his promised land. They say, how in the world could this little group of people actually become this great group of people? Well, because God took this little group of people and he brings them out of Egypt as this big group of people and then he makes them into this great group of people in his place. But we only know that if we've got the whole counsel of God's word. We only appreciate that Jesus is the king in the line of David when we've wrestled through those Old Testament texts that teach us that. We've got to preach holistically, and, and maybe even most important, m- more importantly, maybe even most importantly, the parts of the Bible that we don't like are the parts that we've got to be most intent upon seeing applied to our own lives. I had a actually a fellow came to me last week. He said, "You know, preaching and reading through the Book of Acts challenged me." Because the Bible says that they were drunk, filled with new wine. He said, I, I always thought that new wine was not alcoholic, but they couldn't have been drunk on new wine if new wine was not alcoholic. Well, that might be a small thing, but it was, it was his, his understanding, his ability to, to fully grasp what God's Word said and to apply every single word of it, all of it. We don't get to say things like, We well, you know, I wish Paul had used another word right here. Paul used the words that God told him to use. My responsibility is not to go, ah, Paul could have chosen a different word. My responsibility is to go, Paul, what did you say? How do I then submit myself under the authority of the word that God has given to you? Why don't we like that as Americans? Because we don't submit to nothing. Right? All right. Preach holistically. Third, this morning, preaching has to be Personal. Look at verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man, attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan of God and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For um, And then he goes on to talk about what David had to say. Verse 29, he says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David. What does uh, Peter do in this place? He takes this sermon and he shifts it from a history lesson to a sermon. You see, it became a sermon when Peter twisted around from just a, a historic proclamation to a personal application. Sermons are more than lectures. Sermons are more than historical accounts. Biblical preaching aims to preach the Word of God to people created in the image of God. Biblical preaching is more than a lecture, it's more than a motivational speech. It is more than a defense of God's authority and the Bible's authority. A biblical sermon must aim at the heart and it must be experienced. I can't say that enough. It must be experienced. Preaching is personal. It is in the moment. It is experiential, and it requires courage for the preacher to speak with the voice of the prophet and say, thus says the Lord, you must change. You must repent. You must listen. You killed Jesus. We have a record of Peter's sermon at Pentecost, but as we read these words, none of us would walk out of here and go, well, I I experienced Peter's sermon. You don't read the words of Peter's sermon and go, oh, that was the experience. No. You had to be there to experience it. We've got a historical account and we celebrate what God did through it, but we don't claim to have experienced that message. Preaching is experiential. It requires a submission under the word of God in a particular place. Folks, listen, if you've never experienced conviction in a sermon, I would suggest either that your pastor isn't doing his job or that you aren't doing yours to listen intently. See, I have to make it about you, so let me make it about you in this moment. If every sermon that you ever hear applies to everyone around you and it doesn't apply to you, Your pastor is probably not the problem. See, if you preach, or excuse me, if you sit under the preaching of the Word of God like a third grader, I'm rubber and you're glue. Everything you say bounces off me and sticks to you. The pastor is not the problem. You're the problem. Folks, I can't tell you the number of times that I've walked away on a Sunday morning heartbroken. Because I've seen people that I know needed to hear a particular word from the Lord. And they walked out and told me a joke as they walked out the door. I preached on parenting. I've seen families walk in with wayward children, disobedient kids, and parents, rather than be broken and seeking to pray over their children, parents, rather than be broken and seeking to bring their children to obey them and God's Word, walk out and tell me a story about something crazy that happened last week. And I want to shake them and say, Did you hear? Did you hear? I've preached about broken marriages. Now I've seen husbands walk out and tell me stupid jokes when they should have been apologizing to their wives and praying to the Lord. We live in a society that takes nothing serious and the Word of God is just one more thing for us to mock and ignore and trivialize. Why? Preaching is not an advisory role based on religious expertise. Preaching is a prophetic role rooted in the authority of God's Word. Preaching is necessarily personal and it supernaturally elicits a response. When the Word of God is preached, God speaks to His people. I want to read that one more time. Preaching is not an advisory role based upon religious expertise. Preaching is a prophetic role rooted in the authority of God's Word. Preaching is necessarily personal and it supernaturally elicits a response when the Word of God is preached. God speaks to His people. Did you show up this morning waiting for the Lord to speak to you today? Biblical preaching... Must be preached personally. But preaching is a two way street, and the people of God must be prepared to receive it personally and to respond personally. What is it that keeps people in this room from being broken under the preaching of the Word of God? Proud hearts. Why do these husbands walk out and tell me jokes after I've preached sermons on marriage? Because they're too proud to admit that they need help. Why do parents hear these sermons and not flood this altar with tears for their children? Because they're too proud. Oh, and in our pride, we do all kind of great things. We find somebody else to blame, don't we? In our pride, we can even blame the pastor. How dare you say those things? In our pride, we can blame our partner, we can blame our society, we can blame our church, but it's only in the brokenness of our hearts that we'll look in the mirror and say, Lord God, I need you. It's only in the brokenness of our hearts that we will look into a mirror and allow the Lord, ask the Lord, beg the Lord to reflect not only our image, the state of our soul. Which brings us to our fourth point this morning. Biblical preaching must be done with a call to response. Biblical preaching must be done with a call to response. Listen, it's every pastor's hope that people would call out from the congregation and beg to be saved. Paul says, mercy, Peter is preaching and Luke writes in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said, to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Had a volleyball team or tournament yesterday and uh, everybody's cheering. And um, uh, volleyball, girls' sports are so much different than, than, than guys' sports, right? They, they're always encouraging and they're so nice and sweet. Um, you know, it's, uh, d- does, does this uniform make me look fat? Oh, no, you're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. You know, boys like, does this uniform make me look fat? And they're like, bro, you need three of those to fit on you. But 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 you go to these volleyball tournaments, and these moms are just so supportive, and they're screaming and they're yelling, and 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 uh, we were um, and they won. So so let me just say that before I'm trashing anybody, we're getting smoked. I mean, just getting beat to death. They won the whole tournament later, but we got one game. We're getting smoked, and there's this mom that's in in the stands. She's like, you got this, girls. You're fine. It's good. White sitting beside me. I leaned over his son, he ain't got this. They do not have this. And he looked at me. He said, this ain't good. I said, but man, what would it be like if I, I said this is what I need? Like this, I need these kind of people to show up to hear me preach every once in a while. You know, like I tell a bad joke and there's that mom in the back that goes, it's okay. You got this. And I'm like, that's right. I do. You know, first point comes off bad and the second one starts pretty good. And she goes, hey, you're doing great. Keep it up. I mean, there's, there's that occasional call and response. We see this in the African-American church a lot, right? That call and response. Some of y'all need to go get trained up. I'm being serious. Um, but, you know, it would be like this desire that as you preach the word that people would just cry, what must we do to be saved? Historical accounts of Jonathan Edwards preaching sinners in the hands of an angry God says that as he preached, and y'all, Jonathan Edwards didn't preach with gesticulation and excitement. Jonathan Edwards stood at the podium and he read his sermons this way, under candlelight. History says that as he preached, the people trembled in the pews. And they often cried out for mercy and for God's grace. I've I've never had that opportunity in my preaching, but folks, the call for response must happen regardless of whether or not it's being begged for. Now, a a biblical sermon and and the response in it is not necessarily an altar call. Let me say that. We, We do an altar call most Sundays here, but it's not necessarily an altar call. The call to change is not necessarily that. But the alter, or excuse me. But the call to respond must be in a sermon. If there is no call to response, again, it is only a lecture. It is information. But a biblical sermon will demand a response from all who experience it. A sermon that has been properly, or excuse me, a sermon has not been properly preached. Unless a response has been called for. The response doesn't always come to the end. I've already woven in to this message a call, a desire for you to respond. To change your parenting, to change the way that you would listen to a sermon, to change the way that you would attend services. Those are all calls to response. But what does a call to response look like? Is it a demand? Sometimes it is. The Bible is Filled with these commandments. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. When it comes to something like those things. I can stand and demand that you would repent from your sin. Sometimes it's a summons. Will you come and be forgiven? Sometimes it's an instruction for change. Change. You've been living your life this way. This is how you can be different. Sometimes it's a pleading. with an earnest desire that if anybody in the sound of my voice would miss heaven's gates and inherit eternal suffering in hell, that they would do it against the pleading to be saved. Preaching requires a call to response. That's preaching from a pulpit. That's preaching as personal evangelism and proclamation. Requires a call to response. That call will be different depending upon the circumstances and the situation. Sometimes depending upon the person. I don't preach in a prison the same way I preach here. I don't preach to teenagers the same way I preach here. I don't call for the same kind of response. I don't call for a response in the same kind of way. Depending on the person, it might be the kind of person I get in their face and say, are you going to do something about your life? It might be a person I step back and say, would you please do something about your life? Folks, this is where relationships come in in evangelism and in preaching. That we recognize that people hear differently. That people are open to responding differently. Somebody that's lived a very safe and secure and successful and confident life, they probably need me to be up in their face telling them what's wrong. People that have experienced trauma and abuse, they need me to step back and invite them to come and be healed with Christ. But do you recognize that in every one of those situations there's a call to response? It's necessary. It's essential. And so the people cried out, what must we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized. Watch, every one of you. Because what Peter knew was there was hope for none of them except in the name of Jesus. Peter didn't look around and go, hey, well, you seem like you got your mess together, so don't worry about this one. But you, you are messed up. You need Jesus. No, no, no. Peter said, every one of you. How then do we respond? What's it look like to be a preaching church? Before we tie this thing up with a, hopefully a relatively neat little bow, one of the things that, that we in leadership here, especially we on staff, talk a lot about is the danger of a church becoming personality-driven. It can't be Craig's church. That's super important. But at the same time, it's a challenge because I'm the guy that's up here you know, 90% of the time. And that's, that's in, in large part, that's what my, my job is, is to preach the Word more than anything else. More than anything else. When I look at the apostles, we're going to get to Acts 6 in just, a, in, in just a few weeks. And they're in Acts 6, when there's all kind of really important things need to be done in the church... The apostles didn't say, all right, well, let us take up all those other things and somebody else can get to the preaching. And then they say, no, 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 all those things matter, but nothing matters more than the preaching of the Word of God, and I've, we've got to preach. We've got to make sure these other needs are met, but we've got to preach the Word. Folks, in our, in our efforts and our desire to not become personality-driven, we, we sometimes want to neglect the importance of the role of the sermon. In our democratic nation we sometimes want to reject the idea that one person speaks with authority and then watch in our egalitarian nation we want to reject the idea that there can be any one person that has power and authority and so as a result we look and we go "Er, maybe preaching's not that big a deal listen to me the preacher has no power and the only authority that he has is the word of god And a church must never be personality-driven, but it must be driven by the proclamation and the preaching of the Word of God. We've got to bring others in to do the preaching, but folks, we can never, ever, ever push preaching to the periphery. Preaching has got to be primary. There's a reason that we do sermon-driven discipleship in so many of our life groups. Let me tell you why we don't do it. We don't do it so that Craig gets more airtime. It's because we believe in the value of the preached word of God. In the Protestant Reformation, the pulpit moved. where did the pulpit move from the periphery to the center. To the middle. It found a place of prominence and importance. In many of those churches, the, the pulpit was even elevated. It was in a little box. I preached in one of those pulpits in a box one time. I almost beat myself to death in that thing because I kept moving and running into a wall. But see, architecture carries with it ideas and values. And the reason that the pulpit was elevated and put into that place was to elevate the role of preaching to say that the church gathers to hear the Word of God preached. So how do we tie this up? We tie it up this way. We tie it up with a reminder that the Word of God should be preached opportunistically, holistically, personally, and with a call to respond. We tie it up this way with a reminder that good preaching is sweet torture. We tie it up this way with a call for you to respond. You say, Craig, how in the world could I respond to this? You respond this way. Are you willing today to say, Lord God, humble me under the weight of your word, the preaching of your word. God, forgive me, Lord, when I have chosen to neglect the gathering together myself with God's people. Are you willing today to say, this church and the world doesn't revolve around me, but instead, Lord God, you've got to be the king of My life. Do you long for the word? Are you willing to sit under the authority of the word? People are happy to be entertained. But if you're only here to be entertained, you've missed the point. And if the sermons that you hear are only good sermons, you've missed the point. But if the words that you hear change you, demand that you be different, then perhaps you've not only shown up, but you've experienced the Word of God. So this morning, will you respond? Will you stop making excuses? Will you give God the place that He deserves in your life? Will you surrender to His Word, submit to His authority? Parents, could today be the day that you stop making excuses and today be the day that you say, you know what, Lord God, I, I need Your guidance. Maybe today will be the day that we didn't preach on parenting at all, but you recognize that you've lived far too long blaming everybody else, and today is the day. Maybe you limped in here with your marriage on life support. You say, I've lived as the authority in my own marriage, but Lord God, I need you to take over. Perhaps the day today is the day that you would give your life to Jesus. See, I've I've seen the Holy Spirit do some pretty pretty amazing things in my life. And one of the things the Holy Spirit often does is work sort of contrary to what our expectations are. And I I actually believe that the Holy Spirit could take a, a sermon about preaching. A sermon taken from Peter's sermon at Pentecost. That He could actually use that to convict you of sin that you could be sitting right where you are today under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and in the back of your mind you hear those words, what must I do to be saved? And your response today would be simple. Would you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? He will not turn you away. If you don't know Jesus, I would love to pray with you today if you're struggling in other areas of your life, I would love to pray with you today. But you don't need me either. This altar will be open. And as we sing today, I would invite you, invite you to do business with the Lord, to take His Word seriously, and to respond. Stand with me as we pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. I pray, God, that it would be powerful among us, that we would be more than entertained, that we would be challenged and changed by an encounter with the Holy Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing with us.